Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to the Not A Diving podcast. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our private Discord server, sign up at patreon.com slash official. Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. It is Tuesday the 27th of February and I just realised it's a leap year this year. So Thursday is the 29th. Wow, that's, well, it's completely unremarkable other than the fact that it only happens every four years. And honestly, bringing it up is <laughs> completely meaningless in the context of the show. Before we get started, I should remind you that we're running a new policy on our band camp of pay what you want on catalogue physical items, that is all merch, all physical music items, so all vinyl, all CDs, all cassettes. And like I said, for catalogue items, not for new items, because we respect the record store ecosystem, for catalogue items only, it is pay what you want, plus postage and packaging. There is a note on each item which tells you what the cost price is of each item to the label. So if you go below that, then, well, I think you can make up your own mind on what kind of person would go below that level but it really is up to you so head over to hotflush.bankhand.com and get involved in that we're going to be dropping a whole bunch more stuff on there on friday because it is bankhand friday this friday so yeah that is the place to go hotflush.bankhand.com right on the show this week we have none other than t williams he was recommended to me as a guest all the way back in the very early days of a show by friend of a show rosca rosca and t williams are Good mates. And yeah, Roscoe said to me, you should have him on. And nearly two years later, I finally got around to doing it. But this is a good time to talk to him because he has a great new album called Raves of Future Past. And we get into it in detail. We also have a really, really interesting and fun discussion about the 90s and the 2000s and what it was like coming up in the early grime scene. T. Williams was a member of the Black Ops crew in the early grime days, which I actually didn't realise until I was researching this episode. But yeah, so he's got all the stories, basically, from early grime. And also, you know, from his formative years, 
going out to jungle raves and all that kind of stuff earlier than that too. So yeah, great conversation this week. It's a classic Not A Diving Podcast episode, I think it's fair to say. So yeah, you're going to enjoy this one. One last thing before we get into it, you will have heard at the top that you can get rid of the ads by joining us on Patreon, patreon.com slash official. It's not just ad-free episodes, there's also lots of bonus stuff that goes up there too. So if you want to support the show and don't want to have any annoying ads because they are pretty annoying, let's face it, then that's the place to do it. You can also support the show without subscribing by heading over to scubaofficial.io. There will be a crypto button added to that very shortly. And I know there are many crypto literate fans of the podcast, and that has been a requested addition to that particular page. So yeah, that's going up uh, today or tomorrow. But if you want to support the show without doing so financially, that's completely fine, completely understandable. I totally understand that and it's totally cool. The thing to do, the most valuable thing to do actually is leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Even if you've left one before, then you can leave another one, updating your views or referring to a particular episode or something like that. That really does help podcasts now. They've tweaked the algorithm and reviews matter. So yeah, please do that wherever you're listening to this. Hit the five-star button as well as leaving a gushing review. You can also follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist, which contains much of the music that we talk about. And join us in the Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash discords. Okay, that's enough. Without further delay, here is T. Williams. T. Williams, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm just, uh, yeah, we are recording. I'm just looking at the... um. The way the way for on this on this uh, program. So you were mentioning off mic that you just moved into a new studio. Is that right? No, not, not I really not even did. I completely <laughs> completely got that. All right. So what happened was this is today. Um, I've been like I've been moving places like houses, but basically I forgot my keys for my studio. So like as I'm doing that, I'm changing keys different keys okay and um yeah so there was some studio- moving involved I just, there was uh, some moving involved yeah <laughs> okay. my studio keys are literally like yeah I, I didn't have them on the set of keys that i got with me today okay so, fair enough where, where is your studio uh shortage shortage oh really okay yeah nice. yeah yeah you probably you probably know it like um i actually share with um do you remember jack Wub? yeah okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah. that's the name yeah. from the past for me <laughs> yeah 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 cool he's, he's still here <laughs> Nice. Well, listen, you've got a new album out, so congrats on it. I've just been, well, I spent the morning listening to it, actually. I got the promo and had played a couple of the tunes out, but I've just gone through the whole album a couple of times this morning, and it's it's really great, man. It's a really great piece of work, oh, so well done. Thanks, 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 thanks. It's crazy because it's such a big thing, in it, like, to kind of, like, actually put together, like, like music aside, whether you like, whether anyone liked it or not, like, it's just, like, to get to the end of that, like, it was just, like, all right, now we're done. <laughs> right, so, so I appreciate anyone that says to me like, you know, well done, because I know you know how long, how much it takes to kind of yeah. like do it. Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, like you say, just just doing it is an undertaking, whether it's any good or not. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if it's good as well, then you know that's that's uh, you know double thumbs up. So yeah, it's kind of a it's it's sort of a journey through UK underground music, isn't it? Really, because it kind of really starts is. off on a kind of garagey vibe and it ends in the last few tracks of almost like Dillinger style drum and bass. So yes. <laughs> talk us through like, the influences and everything that went into, you know, getting that out of your mind. So um, 
if I like to be honest, it's just to kind of like start like it was it was the it was literally and I mean most of us have probably got stories like this like during the pandemic and we was I was like delving back into you know just the roots of what made music fun for me you know like why I started creating you know back to that kind of like real essence of it and um, I had a lot of time for the first time with my record collection um, which again I've been collecting since I was a kid and. Um, it basically spans all of those kind of like UK, all the UK dance music um, that came out over the last 20 years or 20 plus years, whatever it was. So, yeah, so for me, well, probably like 30 years to be honest with you, but for <laughs> me, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm lying. Um, but yeah, so for me, it was just like really reconnecting to that and that, and, and that just kind of like sparked this um, fire in me to kind of be like, okay, well, if you've enjoyed all of this music and you still, I still enjoy it, all of it still to this day, there's no, you know, you might get asked, oh, because you're making something at a specific time in your career, do you like that more than you like the thing that you started doing? And I'm, 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 I'm at odds with all of it because I'm just like, I enjoy all of it for what it, for what it is. Like even, even down to kind of like enjoying things in its time frame. So um, yeah, me delving back to grime, and you know enjoying that music for what it was at that specific time that specific era of grime as well at the same time right. and um yeah i just kind of like started just just making tunes based on what i was kind of being influenced by by my record collection and just not caring <laughs> to be honest with you yeah, just yeah. just yeah. going for it yeah so just that that was just really like the kind of like gathering of the influences for the album the record collection yeah i mean you can definitely well you can really hear it actually and you can hear that you had fun making it too. I mean, actually, to be honest, I had a similar sort of similar sort of process with the the album that I released. Well, it's not really an album, the kind of mixtape thing that I released last year. Yeah, um, which was kind of hardcore influenced, which was just music that I have had always had so much fun listening to, you know. Mm-hmm. And then just like kind of giving myself the freedom to write that kind of stuff was just. Do you know what I mean, it's just in the studio with a smile on your face the whole time. Yeah, and exactly. often that comes through in the music. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I was so free and so, and I still am to be fair. I've just, I've just like, after that album, it's just really like put me on this high of just, yeah, like you said, making music with a smile on your face. And it, and it, and it sounds, um, it sounds weird to say, but like, you know, probably like, being in the industry for like 20 years now or releasing records for like 20 years, let's just say, you do get to points where you kind of, you do need to kind of like rethink about what you're doing and how you're creating and how that process is. And for me, it was, um, it was getting the Digitite, um, the Electron, Digitite Electron. And it really, it really just took me back to when I was a kid and it really just turned me onto that kind of like, again, just being free and it was just so much fun, just so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely another, another kind of change that you can make, which can unlock that kind of thing, having a, a different uh, sort of workflow, mm-hmm. um, which enables you to kind of like, I guess, think about things in a different way. That really, that's interesting, actually. So uh, what was the change then from a technical perspective? So initially, this is, if I was going to just rewind it. So initially, when I was a lot younger, I used, um, I used three programs, so three, yeah, three programs. So there was there was Rebirth, which is like a precursor to Reason. There was Acid yeah, <clears throat> by Sonic Boundary, which kind of has a feel like it's kind of like a loop based, like sample based um, door like 
like Ableton and Cubase was the final like mix. So I would do my drums in in Rebirth, um, take all those loops that I've made and then I'd put them into Acid, re-chop them up, do whatever. And then I'd t- take that and put it into Cubase and then from in Cubase I would add like the melodic bits on top of that. And then that's how I pretty much made every early grime track that I ever made. Um, but at the time, you know, there was Cubase wasn't on on the Mac yep. at the time, and I, I, I and you know when you go to college or school, whatever. Back in those days, it was like you know if you wanted to be professional, you had to get a Mac, right? So then I moved to Mac and started using Logic from like ground like ground up again, kind of thing. And then that whole workflow just just disappeared. It was pretty much same time that I moved, kind of like making house music and all of those changes kind of happened. So I was just directly all in the box for probably last, I don't know, 15 years, 12, 15 years, something like that. And it just, again, it just, it just changes the way that you approach things. Obviously I didn't have any, I wasn't, I didn't have any, any hardware as well. So even back in the day, there was like, I had a sample, I had an ESI 4000, like into, in the mix of that as well. Wow. Yeah. I had one of those. Oh yeah. yeah, They're they're great, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So all that was, that was that. that, So, so imagine I've departed from hardware and these specific, specific chain of doors, like flinging things around and doing all that kind of stuff. And, um, the thing that I learned from that that process, that early process that I kind of like lost in the, the years of just losing, using Logic was um, like bouncing things down and it being static. You can't move it. You can't change it again. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's done. Like the drum loop's done. Like you can't touch it again. Like it, it's, you know, all you can do is chop it. And um, using Logic and kind of like going into like a more granular like kind of like production with house music and so on and so forth, it meant that I could always change a kick, change a, um, a sound or in and out or whatever you know it, it, you was using MIDI at, the, at its core kind of thing and that and that meant <clears throat> there was a lot of um, I guess the, the 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 intricacies were there but then the kind of like fun free element of like it's done and just moving away from it in like 20 minutes was 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 lost there was a lot of like going back over back over things and what the Digitat did for me was bring me back to that kind of like just jam it out and done so a lot of those ideas on the album a lot of that, well, a lot of the album ideas just came from a jam, like a five-minute jam that I just recorded, and was just like, okay, well, this is this is another one. This bangs. Yeah, I mean, having those constraints. I've said this on the show so many times, but having those constraints can be like it's almost a paradox. But like having a limitation put on you like that, self-imposed limitation in this case, <laughs> can be so liberating. You know, it, it really can. It can be. Um, it can really unlock creative instincts in yourself and i guess going back to those yeah those initial times when you're by necessity you know working with a a limited technical knowledge like which we all are i mean when you first start out you just kind of like fall into ways of doing things and if you've got something good then you know then you you pursue that and like you know having like you say having like having three doors like as as a way of making yeah a track it seems crazy (laughs) but like if that's what worked then that's what worked and then, yeah, trying to get back to I think that's such a common thing as well. When you've been doing something like this for that long, for this long, yeah. you always find yourself searching for those initial areas of inspiration, right? And if you can find them, that's so, it's so, it's so useful. And it's so, and like you say, it just unlocks that kind of enjoyment that you had when you first start doing it. 
hundred percent. There was there was so much of that. I was like, oh my god, I'm back. Like, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get those feelings that you haven't had for that long, right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and there's also a piece of us that I feel like we're always chasing that. We're always chasing that high as well. That 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 feeling that you know where you're in the studio and you're absolutely not thinking. You're not thinking anymore at all. You're just you're just vibing and it's it's just good yeah, and I love it like so yeah that that going back to that it, it was it was it was yeah it was crazy because it ha- again it happened at such a such a sad time right we're all kind of like locked indoors and so on and so forth whatever but it happened at such a sad time but it was such a great time for for me to kind of take a second pause and understand what made me tick within the street within the studio sense and within my workflow and not feel pressured to kind of like be like okay well you need to create something this year there was nothing there was none of that it was just does this work does is this feeling good anymore and it was like yeah i got lucky i got lucky that i, I got mean it just sounds so much more of a healthy way of you know doing it and when you when you put it like that because that that whole thing of like shit i've got to make the releases for this year that's just such a bad way of thinking about it hundred percent. it's so easy to fall into that trap right? literally well that's it when it becomes this is the other thing is like you know when you're starting out and when you do all that workflow that i had I, there was no time constraints there was no one breathing down my neck for a piece of music there was no let's just say fans or people being like oh what's happened to you where, where have you gone or how can you release nothing this year or da, 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 da. there was no time constraints on it when you start out right so you start out with this kind of like clean slate where you have from whenever you started creating music to the first release to kind of like get it all out right but then once you get something out there then people want more of it <laughs> and then right. that's when all those time like kind of like time constraints come come through and the pressures of like being like okay well what's the follow-up follow-up to this and, and maybe even if you don't think about it someone will ask you about it if you make a if you make a song that kind of like moves people in some type of way they'll be like i'm waiting for the next single and it's nice to hear it when someone's saying to you oh like i haven't had i haven't had a new piece of music from you in a while or whatever it's really nice or i haven't had a specific style of music from you in a while i'm, I'm you know i really enjoyed this release or that release from you like, are you going to go back to that it's nice hearing those things and being wanted and you know in that respect but then there's also the the pressures that come with that like you know and you have to be kind of thick-skinned to not take it on board when you go into the studio and not think about those things when you're in 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 your kind of like comfort zone your studio space and um I feel like yeah I feel like you know it took me until the pandemic to kind of like really feel like that that kind of like comfort zone of being like okay well even if someone asks me for something right now, like, you know, why are you asking it from me right now? We're in a pandemic. <laughs> like, come on. There's more important things going on. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a fair bit of time elapsed since then to it actually coming out. Because the album came out last week, didn't it, or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So tell me a bit about how the project as an album came together. Because it's not just the music, is it? There's a big visual element to it too. Yes. So, yeah, tell me about that. Uh, it coming together as a you know as a whole thing. Okay, so so in that time, um, I was being inspired by um, like a bunch of DJs that you know again just just reaching back to what makes us tick as musicians as as uh, DJs as creatives, right? So I went back into kind of looking at um, younger DJs, DJs that are out there that are doing their thing, people that were finding the inspiration during the time so I basically 
sent the music out, sent the, the, the initial version of the album or the, just the just the EP, like sort of cut down version of it, to like I think three DJs. So it was Chloe Robinson, um, Kush Jones, Taylor J. And I'm trying to think who else did I send it to at the time. I think that I think initially, initially I think that was it. Mm. I think those are like the three DJs I sent in. If I, if I remove Chloe Robinson, because I actually know her already, if I remove her, and she's been around for a little while, but if I remove her and just talk Taylor J and Kush Jones, those two I didn't know at all. So sent them the music. And um, in this time of me sending them the music, I kind of was like, okay, well, maybe I'll send it to some some other people that like I know just enjoy different styles. And I sent it to the guys at Purple City, um, so Matt Bayford and Ash and um, they were just like he was just like yeah this is sick <laughs> like, <laughs> this is actually really sick um, so it took so that's let's just say that's 2020 right I've done that in 2020 and 2021 um, I've gone away um, I've done my first gigs back and I've still got those tracks that I've been <laughs> those same, same four tracks and I'm kind of building more but I've just got those four tracks and then 2022 two i think it was i took a trip to the coast to go see matt and we just went and had um literally sat by the beach and had wings um <laughs> and was just talking like and we were talking about like what we was doing and at the time we were kind of like both watching x-men right and the animated series and obviously ai was the, the conversation around ai was becoming an, a thing as well um, so we just, we would just like started throwing ideas out there, you know, with regards to kind of like the a specific episode, which is Days of Future Past, um, where, uh, Bishop, one of the characters like comes back from the future to stop, uh, something happening in the past that changes the whole course of like the future for the X-Men and everything. And, um, Matt was just like, how about, how about we kind of like do something like that with you kind of thing? And then we was throwing the ideas and then same thing with the titles of the, the, the tracks and so on and so forth. And um, then that whole kind of like visual, um, the, the cover came from basically, so imagine if anyone has, if you want to go and see it, go check it out online, <laughs> right? But it's basically, the, the, the cover is um, basically like an AI or a Sentinel type being over the top kind of like looking over everybody then there's future me coming out of like a kind of like time warp whatever and then there's current me being pulled into it by future oh, me. right i'm just i'm just looking at it now yeah yeah okay yeah i can do that yeah, <laughs> all right makes sense. yeah future me is like it's like a silhouette like a kind of shadowy silhouette in the back um and the whole premise is like basically coming back from the future to basically warn everybody about AI and how to use it in like the most smart and wise way we've got with regards to creativity and um, being free, like back to what we were talking about earlier on, just being free and um, getting back to your core in itself and not kind of like copying anybody else or trying to be like, you know, in the box. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it it's like a whole the comic. The comic explains it way better than I probably can. Um, again, which is another another element of this. So there's a comic. There's the obviously the, the cover, which actually fits within one of the the um, panels of the comic as well. And then um, obviously the music and the t-shirts and caps and all. That so stuff. where can people buy the comic? The physical. 
Thing. You can buy the physical comic um, either at Purple City's Bandcamp, on Purple City's Bandcamp, or you can go to twilliamsmusic.com and it'll take you directly there as well. And you can grab everything there as well. Cool. Okay. We'll put some links in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I've just got the PDF because, uh, yeah, it was sent to me ahead of this. And it's, um, it's, it's really cool, I have to say. It's absolutely on the money with this whole yeah. style. Yeah. It's awesome looking at it now. It's great. Really, really great. Thanks. So, um, okay. Let's talk a bit more about the, about the music. Touched on the you know the styles that went into it and stuff, but can you be a bit more specific in terms of you know tracks and um, examples of like the key stylistic influences that went into it? Okay, so um, if I was to go through it and just kind of give you the rundown, like so, deepest vibes um, is a nod like straight back to like my heroes, like the the the, the, the big heroes like Chris Mack, um, DA Project. Um, the kind of like two-step dons of our era in the nineties. These are these are the characters. Steve Gurley, can't how can how can I forget about Steve Gurley? Also, like um, big shouts, MJ Cole as well. These are the these are the people that inspired like kind of like deepest vibes. And it was that was a jam that I did actually live on Twitch June twenty twenty one. I think I did it. Um, yeah, and I did it live on Twitch, and I was probably on Twitch for probably about I'd say an hour hour and a half. And the 10 minutes that I did that jam was probably the 10 minutes that people really like perked up. So I knew I had something, right. something there. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really cool like to do. And it, it was really nice to like, that's again, like different workflow, right. Testing things out it live. Like, you know, it was. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, so were you doing a lot of that stuff making tracks on, on Twitter? Yeah. Every now and again, I just sneakily do it. it was, I, I didn't, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't like advertise it. I would just start up the Twitch and just see who joins on and see what followers kind of like. So I wouldn't make a big noise about it. And then whoever was in there would, would get in there. And um, I luckily was part of like a kind of like Twitch streaming team with um, Justin Martin, Ardalan, um, Christian Martin, and a few other guys from like North America because I was in Canada at the time while I was doing, doing that time. And um, yeah, so I had quite a few followers from like North America and some some people from like Europe had kind of like cooked on that. I was on there quite regular as well. Um, I used to do a regular stream on Thursdays, which was like a DJ stream as well. And um, yeah, so then I just randomly do production streams as well. And it kind of kind of went down the tree. So Deepest Vibes was the one that kind of came from that moment of me kind of like doing live streams on Twitch. Um, definitely looking to do more of that as well. And it was just yeah, kind of inspired by those kind of two-step garage, like 97 two-step garage um, heroes. Yeah, let, let me just there. ask you one more about Twitch though. Like, how did you find making tunes in front of an audience? Essentially, did you find it? You made. You, did you find it? Yeah, your, your your kind of production flow affected by that at all? You know what? It it, it was and it was, but in in a very positive, very 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 positive way, mm. right? So when we we're in the studio, right, we we were okay to stop and start as and when we want, right? This was a performance. If what well, felt like a performance still, right. yeah, yeah. so kind of in a way, like I was almost you're almost creating with a, uh, an entertainment element to it you know sure. so you're already getting to the point where you're understanding how is this going to move people how is this going to entertain people um and it really you know it does navigate you know it does change how you would probably the the things you would explore explore and navigate and um funny enough like i thought it would make me limit myself mm. and probably not try things but it actually did the opposite. It actually made me kind of be in the moment more and experiment and maybe push myself a little bit more. 
like just 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 to see how far I could push the audience. Sure, you know, it was yeah, it was very it was very cool. I haven't done it in a while, but it was very cool, like a very yeah very cool piece. There, it's almost like um, I mean, I've done almost all my studio work on my own, but then on mm-hmm. the on the few occasions where I'm in the studio with someone else, you kind of almost get a similar thing. It's like it's almost like a you do things in a completely different way. Well, not a completely different way, but there's a slight extra element to it. Definitely. Um, and if you're not used to working with someone else, it is a little bit performative, like certainly in the first, you know, the first couple of hours of it or whatever. And I guess it's some, um, I mean, with that thing, obviously it's very dependent on the, the actual relationship you have with the, the other person in the room. But I can imagine a similar sort of thing emerging or a similar sort of effect emerging. Definitely. Uh, when you're doing it on a stream like that. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I could say that even about, collaboration because even so even if even if i go for t4000 t4000 i created in the studio but actually like this was a day that i actually invited um taylor j down to the studio as well so she was actually in the room when i created this so um i always say that there's certain there's certain tracks that you wouldn't create if somebody this other person wasn't there or like i've got and i've got a good friend like one of my good friends jay bevan like shout him out (laughs) like he used to come to the studio and sleep. <laughs> he didn't care. Like he, he, he's back in the day when I was making grime and all. Actually, the early, even the early T. Williams stuff, he would just come to the studio and jam. He just like he makes music himself and stuff like that. So he does have an interest in music. But there was a lot of like there was like a lot of my songs, a lot of my tracks. Like it was, it, I'm there and he's ma- I'm making it and he's just sitting behind, you know, <laughs> just 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 chilling out. Like um, I actually got a funny story about that. So I just I just so touch on this because it goes, it kind of like relates back yeah, to yeah, yeah. the production and um, my inspiration. When I was in New York, um, for, again, 2021, just first gigs out of the out of lockdown and all the rest of it. And um, I've gone to New York and I've gone, so I, I spoke to Chris Jones online and then now we can actually travel and whatever I've gone and I've been able to travel to New York. Um, and so I hit him up and like, yo, I'm in New York, like, you know, da, 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 let's catch up. So, he takes, he says to me, cool, meet me at the studio. So I go to the studio and I, if any of you guys know, there's, he's got a uh, pal that he works with as well called DJ Swisher. I say he's just a pal. He's actually an amazing producer himself as well in his own right, an engineer. And um, so I go to the studio and I get in the studio. It's me, Chris Jones, um, and one, me, Chris Jones, DJ Swisher, and one other guy, one of their, one of their friends. And this guy, I'm telling you, he literally would be sleeping then he would wake up, smoke a joint, go back to sleep. And that's all he was doing for about, I don't know, six or seven hours we was there. <laughs> like, and it was just like, those characters, although we don't talk about them often, like those characters in the studio, in the studio, like they do bring, like... The they, secret that, sauce. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like a secret sauce. <laughs> because it, like for me, with, with my power, um, he he knows this, like Jay, like I'll, I'll always say this, he, he'll... He'll be quiet until something really like is really kicking off. Anyways, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, so I'll know I've got something probably because he's probably like, that's kind of hard still, <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. He'll just be like that. <laughs> that's good. and then he might fall asleep again or whatever, just mong out from it. But he'll be like, yeah, that's hard. That's hard. And then that's it. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like I'll, I'll put my name on this. Yeah, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, I co-signed that one. Like so, so kind of in a way, T four thousand on the album as well, which is totally inspired by like that that kind of like era where dubstep and grime was kind of like 
in between the two like there was yes. tracks that, that yeah 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 that was, i got that exact vibe for this track absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah it really reminded yeah. me of like forward in 2005 it, or something exactly that era that cool era um that's what that was um yeah man and really like that like i said that was that was because i guess i was looking back and then um taylor j was kind of like looking forward and it was like that 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 kind of thing and um yeah she was just there like she was she she, she even the, even the other day she was like oh, i wish i wish i had have like literally put some like got involved in that track like and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah there's, there's that's t4000 um climbing purple um actually um good friend of mine roscoe this track started out as some drums that i was going to send to him um and actually just something an idea that i was going to like maybe do on his label so it was kind of like uk funky whatever this was just in that time because i chat to him all the time he's a good friend of mine whatever and then um yeah and again another person that really like during the whole period of creating this album really kept tabs on me you know you know he was he was like the he had held me accountable man he really did help, hold me accountable he was like uh, you know how's it going what's going on what's next kind of thing and um this track in particular it started again it started out like a, just a stripped funky thing like kind of like what Roscoe kicks and snares actually is um what our case is but then um i went to printworks and one specific track called Bassbin uh level that track when i mean it, it just changed everything for me so i'm a piano track um it's absolutely dope um and that, that yeah that it just changed it and i was like okay cool so there's the kind of rks influence there which was was the beginnings of it and then there's the kind of like modern day am piano influence which is um <clears throat> which is the other end of it and then kind of like melded that together you know with like maybe like the influences from the record collection like dj gregory um masters at work or even like kenny dope and these kind of like records that like really and even like the um the bugs in the air and the broken beat lot just in there as well and that's right, the, yeah. the melting yeah. pot of that one um as well so yeah i, I mean there's there's a lot of um even if you take like cherry coke and like jammy i've got to say jammy is unbelievably good that's a fucking <laughs> that's a proper banger man it really is that's absolutely right up my street 100 oh, <laughs> yeah that one like again like it's just the, the melting pot between like grime and techno like and i know you do like stuff that really like fits the kind of like the both in in that respect where and i love that i love that space i love that space that 140 like to 150 space where you can kind of um you can hear it on the fourth floor, fourth floor, and yeah, but, but it's can... got that kind of sort of like that kind of bumpy thing as well, you know. Exactly, exactly, and 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 and, and these ones, these were just that. They were just that. They were just like okay, it's um, yeah, the mix, the real mixture of the kind of like bringing that UK to the to kind of I uh, just the, the 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 harder, faster sounds, yeah. So those two and, I, and if i was going to say like music that inspired it like that came out during that time maybe i would probably go for like um maybe like like packs the fortet remix and mm. um, that's clover Robson adhd um that really that track was just like okay cool you know like um fortet actually sent it to me and i was just like oh you, you can do that <laughs> it's good <laughs> <laughs> all right we're going kind of thing um 
And uh, the one that really like, the one that really set this off on the album um, was Love All You Squares. So Love All You Squares, um, I basically made it from pulling out my, the Korg Triton. So I had my Korg Triton, my Korg Triton, um, which would, had the square, which is the, the classic. classic grime. Yeah, yeah, yeah square yeah. base. So I pulled that out, got that. It worked with using that and I'm trying to think what else, what else I had. Oh, I actually, I actually used crazy. So I actually used on that one, I actually used um, Rebirth as well. So I actually did use a bit of Rebirth and then the brakes and then obviously the Digitite were from, the brakes were from the Digitite and that. And yeah, just pulled it all together and it was just like all those different like influences and again, the grime records um, that really, 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 really influenced that would have been um, kind of like just all the kind of like early um, Sublo and, and Esky kind of stuff. So like maybe like, I guess like Johnny Cash, like Battle and Johnny Cash War, these kind of like these tracks, um, Wiley, like Ice Rink and um, Snowman and these 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 tracks, um, Eskimo, even just throw Eskimo in there as well. Um, you know, um, even Roll Deep Regular, yeah. That, that track as well, that was another track I was playing a lot at that, like, during that time just on record just listening to it being like oh this this is this is amazing this is this is what i want to do kind of like blend the the breaks with with the um that early square wave bass grime sound funny because uh i didn't actually realize that you had been part of black ops in your grime days <laughs> yeah yeah as a young kid man as a young kid um yeah it's just the best start and the best like now i look at it and now i hear other people's stories of i guess grafting to get into the industry or grafting to get noticed mm-hmm. <laughs> i realized i had it easy <laughs> just lucked <laughs> out right yeah well i mean yeah. being in the right place at the right time is one of the best things you can possibly be right so definitely like um shouts out to dj dice and you know being born in london as well it's like it is a privilege in that respect when it comes to like being creative and being in music it's like i went to college um with DJ Dice, who was part of Black Ops, and he was on like a pirate station, pirate radio station for anybody that remembers a, a station called Lush FM. Mm. And um, yeah, he used to be on Lush, and also used to do every now and again. He used to be on Ice FM as well, like West London. This was weird. I was going to say it's West London, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. West London, West London lot. And um, yeah, he he's in my college, and, and it was funny because I went, I did the B Tech in Music Technology, and at City Westminster College, and I remember being like the youngest person on the on the course because there was they i can't remember what the entry requirements but something like you had to kind of like had some kind of like experience in music or whatever or else everyone there was like 19 and up so um dice and all that lot, like maybe like four five, four years older than me something like that four or five years older than me <clears throat> so yeah i kind of i kind of i kind of was yeah like you said right right place right time with right person so he i just used to be going to music house cutting dub plates um and then giving to giving them to him so he could play them on the radio and that was literally i didn't have any other thing to do other than just make tunes and cut dub plates and give them to him like and yeah obviously so what still, was this like 2001 sort of time uh no do you know what's crazy this is earlier than that this is like 99 2000 this is literally 99 yeah. 2000 so yeah okay. the part about it is, is i didn't get a song out until 2003 but the funny the funny part about all of that is like even when i look back at it i knew that that well, that's that track was invade which is invasion my first ever release that track actually was doing like loads of damage like in 2002 like literally i knew it was going to be like 
when it got released in 2003, it was like, it was already like done for like us for sure. It had sure. been on dub plate forever. Mm. Like, um, and I, I made it probably like the year prior to that. Right. This is just like for anyone that's listening, that's understanding like timelines back then was so much longer from yeah i mean the lifespan of a dub plate right and that's just not <laughs> something that's even a thing now is it you know? exactly yeah so it, it, it was like even when i talk to kids about it now like who come up like grandkids who come up to me about it and i'm I'm like to them it's kind of like a weird thing because obviously we, like and when i say 99 2000 we're still talking we're still kind of in the garage era we're still fully in the garage era for sure yeah i mean that was peak garage arguably arguably yeah like so in terms of it's like commercial you know success anyway that was so we're still kind of doing the whole um so we're making that darker stuff in that in that period of time um yeah yeah we're just making that darker stuff in that period of time and i I, and again like i said there was only one person who i felt like i could give it to everyone was playing like the lighter garage 99 2000 i'm in college um i was giving it to my pal and that he then in turn got heard on the radio by johnny cash um who was like a again a local hero um, legend absolute legend and, um... <laughs> it's, it's really funny actually because the guy who i originally started hot flush with who is um let's say he's uh let's just say he comes from a quite a well-off family all right he struck up this really unlikely friendship with johnny cash which i just <laughs> i couldn't understand it at all because johnny cash is a like you say he's a, he's a local hero and yeah you know, from that neck of the woods like yeah. you know it's kind of probably fair to say it's the wrong side of the tracks to a certain extent <laughs> right yeah 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 so him and yeah L, dj l sid who i originally started hot flush with yeah they were good mates somehow i don't know That's quite, jokes yeah. he'll probably remember uh, yeah when i talked to him i'll say yeah L, he, L, he certainly will yeah for sure yeah no this again so it's funny because that was that was the thing back then it was like he was probably one of the few people that had um a he had the air b he had the experience because he he had come from the whole, he was like first generation of like hip hop lovers in the UK and like part of all of that and going to like the soul to soul parties and things like that. So he'd seen like how kind of like grassroots things in the UK can really like pop off. And obviously garage, we've seen garage go around the first time as well and jungle and whatever, you know? So he was there old enough to kind of like be that. So when he was talking to me about like being a part of black ops and things like that, like I kind of, I kind of always was like, eh, <laughs> you know because <laughs> you always you know you, you you always think like do you have to be part of a crew does it have to be like that like do we have to do the crew thing like really but um but i did he did he did like make you know the greatest point is which was that you know strength in numbers like when kind of like one thing happens for one it happens for all kind of thing and you know now that really kind of like and all my kind of like understanding of like how to kind of like network and how to navigate the industry was all from like Johnny, like, like you said, maybe he made friends with someone that was unlikely, but you know, that's how you do it. Right. You make yeah. friends with people and totally. you, you navigate this thing. So um, those early days in black ops, like, and that being like my foundation was probably like, you know, the best foundation. And like I said, I had what, four, five years or four, I had nearly four years before I had a release and probably about, five years until i realized that like it was just 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 what grime was and what that it was something that we was doing something the thing was moving now you know you're getting to go play sidewinder you're i don't know we went we went to the states we went to 
um, Holland. We went to Spain. Like, you know, play, play, like little shows here and there that were like outside of the M25, you know, um, that really like reaffirmed that the music, even though it was like, it felt super like niche and super dark side, you know, it was something that was really like moving people globally. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, Dizzy winning the Mercury definitely helped there, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. Like those East London lot keeping going and keeping moving, like was, you know, a big thing. And even, um, again, another unlikely, um, person, maybe not the best now, but, uh, John Pills was a big supporter back then. Right, as well, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. John, John feels all right. I thought you were going to say, uh, I thought you were going to say Westwood, but um, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the BBC hasn't got a good record at this point, man. Like, it's it's one, that's of, true. It's one of those. That is true. But yeah, John Pills being being one of the one of the people who like, like literally used to champion the music and champion yeah, loads of people's music. Loads of people have got a story about John Pills championing the music, but from he used to play grime. He was the first person to make, play my really early tunes that ever came out on the radio. There you go. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Like so, so yeah. That, those those things and like those were the kind of like things that and I and that was my that was literally the start of the career. Like that was literally the start. That was the early days of my career. Like there was there was there was no warm up. I was a teenager and I literally I've from sixteen till now and even even at sixteen I had two other releases that were meant to come before Invasion. One was on this label called Natural Essence and another actually was going to be um, a collab, like self, uh, well, a collaborative self-release kind of situation with um, one of the other artists on Black Ops, which was Char- this guy, Charmsy. And yeah, for what, for multiple reasons, those those things didn't come to fruition as the first ever like singles. Um, and it was other, it was, wasn't Invasion, it was uh, some other tunes. And um, Johnny, you know, air on the money, like really just waited until... I had something that he felt like was going to be, like it was really going to kick off, and it was Invasion, and it, and it did. We sold like you know, I don't know, seven, eight thousand copies of that, something like that. Wow, back in those days, back in those Incredible. days, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was a special time. Absolutely, now, it's really interesting what you just going back to what you're saying about what Johnny was saying about crews, mm. and you'd think that that kind of mentality would really serve people well today, actually, because like the biggest challenge now is getting heard and is breaking through, you know, and is kind of making an impact. And you think that kind of mentality where like banding together and like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats and, you know, safety in numbers, strength in numbers, you'd think that would really make sense now, wouldn't you? I never actually thought about it like that, but I think yeah. it really would. The funny, the funny thing about it, if I was going to translate it to, to now and maybe like the word that gets banded around probably more so now is community. Right. That's the word that people, the buzzword that people use now. But I think it kind of, it kind of it takes away from it being like your actual closest mate sitting beside you yeah rather than it being people that externally kind of connect with what you're doing online and building a community online or whatever it is blah, blah, blah. yeah it's a different thing isn't it i think like I think yeah the, that's what um, i was gonna say yeah it's um because the yeah the, the kind of crew mentality it's um it's quite adversarial as well you know, mm. in, in a way which is obviously not always great but it can be quite you know positive as well actually it can be quite um constructive having that kind of siege mentality which you know is, is quite motivating i think for it can be anyway obviously it can go in the wrong way no but i get i get what you're saying it's like it's almost like and and this is this is this is exactly how i've always thought about it and, and i've seen other people do it but not with the title per se so it's like when you you know you you'll know this right you know when you meet someone and then they'll be like, 
oh yeah, 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 my mate, da 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 da. I went to school with him, and he's he's the agent over da 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 da. Oh yeah, yeah, and then my my mate da 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 is a manager at da da da. And then my other mate, he's at this record label, and my other mates over da da da. Like that's the kind of like the non the non kind of like saying that you're it because even as a collective of friends as you move as and you as you move and say okay we're going to do this you're picking who's who and who's got what strengths and taking them and saying okay like you know sure. literally like you're going to war like you know what yeah, I mean? yeah yeah and yeah and picking it off like johnny had that kind of street mentality with it in exactly that way for a crew for instance because there wasn't just even though the people that the names that get brought up now are the people that kind of like produce music or DJ, those are the names that get brought up now. There was other people in the crew that were like literally um there was there was an engineer, like there was literally an engineer, too real. He was just a Keith. He was literally an engineer. He was the guy. Like I'm talking new everything about the studio, his studio and anyone else's studio, he was like the go-to guy. Um and if you needed something, a specific sound or whatever, he would be the guy to go and chat to and what synth to get and da 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 da. And many a conversation did I have with him. He was a little bit older. Um he was he was literally such a um he's so knowledgeable. Then we had a couple of um a couple of girls in the crew as well, an MC, um a stylist, um and also um, another producer as well in there. Can't remember their names, but there was three of them as well. Um, there was Capone, another MC, um, Chaps. Oh, there was a there was a bunch of there was a bunch of us. Like and yeah. and yeah, it's it's it, it, he was really trying to like copy the kind of US blueprint. If you if you want to take like the kind of like Rockefeller kind of situation, that blueprint of your whole crew's coming through, kind of this is what we're doing kind of thing. And um, to a degree, like I said, I, I take the ethos and like I said, I think, I think overall it was a positive idea for sure. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, that era of grime, I mean, some of the music's just amazing, isn't it? It really is. It was such a creative um, period of time. Um, actually, uh, when when I had MJ Cole on the show, actually we talked about uh, like the, the the old garage guys getting pissed off with it, you know, <laughs> that whole, the whole what's yeah. this PlayStation music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Do you know what's crazy about that is though, like, because we was in between it. Like, this is the wildest part. So I look back so fondly on the music now. I'm not gonna lie, like, like so, like the, like the likes of like, let's just say like the likes of maybe Rough Squad. Um, which like probably the top of the top of the food chain over there with that with what they were creating they were just awesome 
I'm trying to think of who else they were. But even like people like Da Vinci and these kind of characters that came after us, even Displicit, all these characters that came after us, because Johnny was a little bit older um, and had been around for a little bit longer. So Johnny had probably been releasing music since 99. So actually he had been releasing music since the Garage era. And nobody actually wanted, wanted to call it grime. Like no one in grime wanted to call it grime even yeah. at the time. Yeah, it was a pejorative, wasn't it? Like it was very much kind of like that grimy stuff. What's this bullshit kind of thing? Yeah, literally. Like it was like what? Like so, I kind of, I kind of, you know, we're calling it sublow. We're calling what we're doing sublow. The East London lot are calling their stuff esky or whatever. You know, what I mean, there was there was loads of different names banning around. Yeah, like, sublow was the was the black ops name. Black ops it, name. It? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we was calling it. And I remember just being like, like obviously I'm DJing, so like. Back in those days, you could just get away with like just playing your own tunes and right. So we were just—I didn't really buy any music at that point in time. It was just like dub plates in the bag. So we're quite fortunate to be from West London, where like people like Daneo, um, Dynamite, who was um, made uh, "Let Yourself Go" and also "Hungry Tiger" as well. Um, Zander Hardy, uh, DJ Virus, Rude Sting, Eastwood was local. Um, you ain't ready. Um, I don't know, Daniel's bounce, whatever. Loads of, the the West London lot was, oh. yeah, yeah, musical mob as well, Pulse X, whatever. It's like, mad, was, there was like thinking about like, because that's just a one, quite a small area of London. The amount of amazing <laughs> music being made in a, you know, in that city at that time is just, just incredible. It really is. But yeah, I mean, like just that that area is just, you know, it's just amazing producers you just listed for sure. Yeah, yeah. They, like so we, so I would just be playing all of that stuff. So when. And that was just on dub plate. You just have dub plates and you just be playing that stuff. And then, so when it got to a point where maybe potentially like the grime thing kind of like had solidified, maybe like 2005 or something like that, 2005, 2006, it started to really like solidify. I was kind of like, that's how, that's how I ended up starting to make house music was because I probably like, you know, I can admit it, you know, snobbery was there. Um, you know, I'm like, I, I took my time to buy my ESI 4000, you know, I had to wait and save up and da da da. I'm, I was like the old guy, like, you know, the grumpy old guy giving, giving that story to even to the grime, to, to the grime lot. Like it's crazy. Now I think back to it and I was only young. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Now I think back to it. I was like, what are you doing? But that's how it was. It was kind of like, it, it didn't, it didn't, grime didn't do it for me in that period because I was, the tunes that I was making before that was I was basically just trying to make tunes like Wookie or Sticky or these kind of garage characters, the Dark Side or Orish J, the Dark Side garage characters, LB, you know, Groove Chronicles, whatever you name it. Like I was trying to make tunes like that. It just so happened that I didn't have the techers for it, so I ended up making Gram or Sublow. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then by two thousand four, two thousand five, I say by two thousand five, um, Broken Beat was a thing, and it was obviously from West London. And I was heavily, heavily, heavily in like the co-op and um, the bugs in it. It looked like heavily influenced by that. That was like that. That genre was like a hundred percent. Absolutely, then, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I was. It was funny because, like, I mean, I love that stuff too. And it felt like it felt like it was going to become huge, and it just never really did, did it? And I, I never really quite sure why. Because like, bugs got signed, didn't they? Did they bugs did. sign a big? deal with someone and then they were supposed to release the album which was going to make broken beat huge and it just never quite happened mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that your memory of it too my memory of it yeah uh, my memory of it is really like uh, again like i'm really cool with these people now like alex funcy is like someone who has i catch up with all the time and he's dope like but at the time i remember there was just like most of these scenes and mem i remember and this is what i always thought about in that era is that 
Broken Beat really influenced that actual Broken Beat really influenced UK Funky. And the reason why I got into it, I got into that. And then also I got into house music at the same time. And then that was kind of like the precursor to kind of like the UK funky scene, which came after that, you know. And I felt like they didn't really embrace the youngsters that were making the kind of like, again, kind of, if we want to go back to the PlayStation-esque yeah. broken beat or whatever, um, they didn't really embrace those characters, embrace that sound as It was very of, highbrow, wasn't it? It's very highbrow. So even me, I used to go to... Um, co-op even when it was at plastic people and um i used to i used to just hand like you know ig culture whoever like a cd like i was just making music i was making obviously i was making grind but then i was also trying to make this broken beat stuff as well or you know that focused housey stuff and i would hand them stuff but like i, I mean it wasn't obviously clearly wasn't good enough at the time but um yeah there was no one was gonna you know kind of the look was always like yeah Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> you know what i mean it, it was cool though it's like i said it, cool. man, it made me yeah i mean that just took me back man it really did because i mean just that whole thing of handing out cds but also being being the guy you know who's the kind of really wet behind the ears producer and you kind of know at the back of your mind that the stuff you're giving out isn't <laughs> yes. really good enough but you just do it anyway because that's what you have to do yep and uh just those, yeah, yeah, just that kind of like latent feeling of rejection just always in the back of your mind. Do you know what I, mean? <laughs> like, I, st- yeah. I felt it as I was saying it. Like, oh, yeah. I literally... I, well, yeah, you probably heard it in my voice then. Like, <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. <sighs> those <Yeah>. days, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like, um, so many times. I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what, though. Go like, on. having to go out and physically give CDs to people mm. is something different, you know? Like, no one has to do that now. And actually having to put a CD into someone's hand and look them in the eye and say, listen to my music. That is a, that is a rite of fashion, which I think has some value in of itself, you know? Definitely. It's like, because you really feel when someone really doesn't want to... The, the fact of that is, you know they haven't listened to it yet because you just handed them a CD. They can't even hear it. Like, it's just like, I'm look, they're looking at you and they're like, I'm probably not going to care about this. <laughs> like... <laughs> It means it's like so personal. It's like, yeah. like you said, looking you in your eyes, like me. I'm not going to listen to this. So yeah, those days. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. And um, I love the stories of when, like, even like me for myself. I'm sure you're the same, right? Is when you've gone and done all of that, and you've been this person, and then you meet this person in another life. Right. You know, when you're, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's remember fine. me? Remember <laughs> me? Yeah. yeah. I'm that kid. No, but it's lovely because it's it's like, for, for me, it, it, it doesn't even fill me with like any form of um, resentment or anything like that. Oh, sure. I mean, most of the time, anyway, there are some people where you're like, yeah, fuck you. But, yeah. <laughs> 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 but for most people, it's just like, it's a kind of nod, you know, and because yeah. cause, cause it's a recognized, recogn- I guess the recognition that, Everyone has to go that, through that to an extent, right? Exactly. And the part of it is I'm here now. That's the part that I love is that you may not have known me then, but you know me now. Like, I love that. Like, like I, like no, nothing was ever going to make me quit or stop or anything like that. Like, I'm here now. I'm, you know, and you probably had to like, make it I, over the fence, right? And you've eventually yeah, made it literally, over. Literally, yeah. I'm here now. Hi, <laughs> guys. Yeah, love it. Love it. Love it. So, yeah, I had many, many, many time of that. So, yeah, Broken Beat as a whole. I would say was probably one of those genres that really didn't um, take off as just like maybe the dip that Garage had because they just didn't embrace the younger generation that was starting to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just moving back to the album 
quickly. I just wanted to talk about the the jungle and drum and bass influence is into it because the last few tracks very much <laughs> get yeah. into that whole thing. So tell me about your relationship with with jungle. Yeah, so my relationship with jungle is um, basically it's the genre that like I I first kind of like apart from listening to what my parents listened to, like it was the first genre that I decided I was going to listen to um, through um, various like avenues. I've got my cousin, um, Adrian, who literally used to hand me tapes from um, one of his good friends because had a really good reception, Remain, um, had really good reception at his house. So he used to just be servicing us Cool FM tapes all the time. So that was, that he was like the plug. Um, and then um, also my dad was a youth worker and he used to work at a youth club. Um, but there was a DJ there who goes by the name of DJ Stretch. If any of you guys know him, early jungle um dj producer as well um reinforced and oh right okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah he he literally yeah he he gave my dad a tape and that tape again i've still got it to stay like it's one of like it's literally i used to bump this all the time and i was probably like eight or nine years old when i got that it was really okay. young and um yeah so i just loved the music and I, and it was because it was like a mixture of the roots reggae that like I was listening to, like my parents were listening to, I grew up in a Rastafarian family, lots of roots reggae, Caribbean family, lots of roots reggae around the household, dub reggae around the household. Um, most days, specifically Sundays for sure. Um, and this felt like all those songs that I was listening to were via my parents, but this was like the hybrid with the kind of like, again, feeling very like British and very proud to be British from the rave culture as well. That was kind of like mixed with it. And it just was like, this is me. And then, again, it's crazy to say at eight years old, how I felt like that. Do you know what I mean? But that that's how it felt. It just made me so proud and like to kind of be like, okay, how can I find more of this? And I got so excited by it. Like it was, it was unbelievable. Um, and I remember like, you know, even, even like prior to that, just a little bit, like there was like, you know, the prodigy, like, SL2 on a record tip and these songs that like again just you know you'd see them on when they ended up on top of the pops and things like that and um it just felt like me you know so I followed that path I followed those breadcrumbs I, I, like so via that I ended up um starting to buy records buying vinyl one um from a local record store then again the same cousin Adrian took me to black market records for the first time when I was a kid as well like down there Never, we'll never forget that first experience of going in and you know seeing people like Ray Keith and Nicky Back Market behind the counter and you know <laughs> yeah we've had a few um a few of these experiences described on the show before so so how old were you were you really young I was really young. I, was, I would I would say eleven or twelve I'd say so that is I young yeah okay got to Black Market yeah eleven or twelve um, almost too young to find it intimidating. No, or, this is the thing. It was, I didn't know. I didn't. I genuinely didn't find it intimidating. Yeah, I genuinely yeah, yeah. found it That's what I'm so saying. exciting. That's what I'm saying. You're probably too young because I remember it's it's such a common uh, way to describe it. Like just that record shop mentality, but then particularly those shops in Soho, just like just quite. I mean, they, they weren't moody, but they just like had that kind of vibe about them. You know, I know what you mean. So here, here, what this is the funny part about that that journey, right? That journey was my I I learned that I used to have to stand away from my cousin who was he wasn't crazy old but he was like let's just say maybe he's like 16 17 something like that right and i learned that i had to stand away from that lot to get the records that i wanted 
because they would take a little bit of pity on me because I'm okay. a young kid. And that, you know, it's, again, the environment is loads of people in a record store, in a basement, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, the tunes are thumping so loud. You, can, you can't talk to the person next to you, but they might play something that everybody wants. And then there's only either a few copies or they play something that is like not even, you know, it's like test press business. And it's like, they're, not, they're only going to give it to the DJs that are known in the building or whatever. You know, and I remember like just learning that the situation was, yeah, you had to sell yourself as well. You had to be front and center. You had to try and like, you know, let them know that you're interested in that piece of music as well. Um, and if it wasn't under the counter thing or something like that, you, you know, you had to kind of give them a reason to take in my case, I wasn't, you know, you weren't known yet. You weren't doing anything. Take pity on you and be like, okay, well, you can have one of these. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, just being the youngest kid in there, like by definition, that means they're, they're going to be, they're going to notice you, right? Notice you, exactly. So I did, I was like, that. that's, so the, so I know, the, I know what it, what it means for it to kind of like, oh, I, I guess I understood the intimidation of the, the experience in itself. But yeah, being younger, there was, that's all, that was like, the only experience that I ever had, if that makes sense. So it's like only like going into record stores and it being exciting going into the record store to do that. So there was no intimidation. It was just excitement to be able to get better records. So like obviously the record store that I was going to in the beginning was um, in Ealing in West London, which is where I'm from. And they had a certain, you know, they had certain records pass through there, but then Black Market had another tier of records and test presses that were going through there. And yeah. it was just, you know, all the records that you'd want going through that i didn't have enough money to buy all the records i wanted i had to I had to really pick which ones are going to go here because i could probably only get three you know on a, on a given day so i mean this yeah. is this is such a great insight isn't it because you know the, that kind of constraint we talked about constraints earlier but having a constraint of um building the tunes in your bag mm -hmm. like there's a financial constraint constraint but there's also the constraint of actually getting hold of the records in the first place right so i mean that's just completely alien i mean it's, it's, it's an obvious thing to say but it really i think must have a huge effect on the way music develops generally speaking when you know when you've got tunes which are you know literally gold dust well not literally but you know, yeah <laughs> figuratively well, gold dust bus, yeah they really were like i mean I've got an even crazier story than that. Like there was one story, like literally my older sister, again, they, they were junglists as well. My sisters were junglists. They used to rave as well. And my older sister, um, I think she went to carnival and she heard um, DJ trends. So she heard um, two degrees, but on the flip side of two degrees is, is this Wu-Tang track. Right. Um, and she heard it. Right. And she was like, come, she comes home, whatever. I weren't old enough to go carnival like that on my own to go play rave jungle. So she comes back. She's like, I heard this thing um, at the jungle stand. It's got this Wu-Tang sample in it, like whatever. And they, they reloaded it loads of times, whatever. And she's like to me, like, you need to get this kind of thing. Imagine I'm like a kid and she's like, you need to get this. I'm like, get it from where? From what? Like, she's like, all right, cool. I'm going to take you to the store. I'm going to take you to go and get it. And um, so we go. Um, if I remember correctly, it, it was Vinyl Mania, I think it was. Um, and we went to the record store and... So she's explaining the tune, I'm explaining the tune, whatever. Well, the guy's giving us like a couple of songs that are like on the on the shelf. And then she's like, no, 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 no. It's like this. Da, da, da. Anyway, he ends up pulling the track out from underneath the counter. Again, and even underneath the counter, you know he's doing something special now. Yeah, <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a white label um, and it's 
DJ Trends, whatever. And he plays it and she's like, yeah, that's the one. And he was like, straight, are you on radio or is he on radio? (laughs) (laughs) And we were both like, no, we're not on any pirate radio station or anything like that. He's like, oh, but these have been put in here for people that are on like pirate radio or radio. Like, you know, these are for people that are going to give it exposure kind of thing. And then um, my sister was like, look, he's a young DJ. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to get into the game. Obviously, you know, can you, and he was like, just this one time, just this one time, I will let you off and you can buy the privilege to buy this piece of music. Just like, take my money, take my money. Take my money. Yeah, like literally. So he, he, to this day, I cherish that copy. I literally cherish that copy of that record because literally, we had to go in and literally like beg the guy behind the counter to sell it to us. Like, you know, let me have it. Like, and and like you said, it's the, the only. It was the only way I was going to get to have it. It was the only way I was going to get to play it. Um, there wasn't anywhere else I could hear it. I had to kind of like, you know, we. You ha- I don't know if you used to do this, but like, you used to have to wait for a, a song, specific song, to come on the radio to record it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that would be the only way you could keep replaying yeah. it to yourself. Anyways, back in the day. Yeah. So unless I had it on record, I was stuck. And he and he and he had the cheek to play it to me in a shop as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can stand here and listen to it but you can't buy it like, yeah oh man it was wild so that 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 early record store um journey and the early record store um experiences were just were just magical man they were just magical like such a good time such a good time so many good stories so many good memories um and remembering the moment when you get a specific song as well and where you got it from you know and for me, like who I was with, all of when I go through my vinyl, my like my vinyl collection, that's that's what it really is for me. You know, it's all these memories just connected to each record. You know, so good, yeah. So when was the first time you went to a a rave, a proper rave, proper rave? Um, I was definitely under eighteen. I was definitely under sixteen. Um, I'm trying to make, one nation. So yeah, I was talking about the other day. I went to uh, my, that same cousin who was a junglist, like he took me to One Nation. Um, I reckon I was about 14 or 15 yeah. when I went. Um, but the th- the crazy part is like, all of that stuff wasn't really alien to me because of like, so there was under 18s parties in my local area, two specific ones. One was called Tomorrow's World, which was a jungle event that, that I went to. I was about 11 when I went there and that was, and Nicky Back Market came and played that. Um, also there was Jungle, Jungle Bash in Harrow, um, which used to go on and I remember as well that they had uh, Brocky, Skibar, Shabar, Det was down there down there. So I mean, I so I never went to one of those under 18s raves. Yeah. What were they like? Oh, they were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they were awesome. Um do you know what's crazy is like it's like it's like you could you, now I'm older and i and you know when even when I got to the proper raves, it was just a mini rave it was just like a mini right. grown rave like and all the kids that were probably parents that were okay with you going were probably like kids that were from parents that were like raver parents like <laughs> so so everyone had like you know the clothing and all the rest of it rah, rah, and um yeah it it was it was like i said just the the um, a mini version of how the many big rave. how many people were doing pills 
Oh, this this wasn't this. <laughs> we're talking. We're talking. We're all under sixteen here. Like there was nothing. I mean, nothing I was, was doing pills when I was under sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was not. Like, I, I, well, again, that's maybe maybe that's maybe me in my circle. But as far as I was aware, right, okay. there was no alcohol and no pills, so no okay, one was. Okay. Yeah, it was. It, it was pretty. So it was a bit different there. <laughs> it was a bit PG. It was a bit PG in that in in, in that respect. Got um, it, got it. I was going to say because because what did, what do we do? Um, ah. Oh, there was a yeah. There's another party called an education and dance, which was again another party in the local area. That was that, and that was more garage focused as well. And you get to see all the garage, the top garage teachers, whatever. But again, these were all like I'm talking from probably like eleven to maybe like thirteen. These were like some of the things that I would like pop out to, whatever. Blah 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 blah. Um, and you would get to see the same. Well, I say the heroes that I was hearing on the radio. I'd get to hear them. Um, and hear the tunes as well. They need, and they didn't bring any other. It wasn't like they brought a cut down version like of their selection. It was a, it was a selection, you know, that was hit on the tape packs. Yeah. Same, same cool stuff. Um, and I think as well because again we was young, but like a lot of people was up on the music itself because of pirate radio. Like you knew what was what was what. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. So one and one nation was the first rave, first proper. Um, was that at the Rex? At the Rex, yeah. It was at Rex. It was at the Stratford Rex. That's um, the real shit right there as oh, well. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like the, again, like, make sure you don't get robbed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, right. So I was, we had um, Fracture on the show uh, yeah. last week and we were talking about getting robbed in the in the queue at Rays. Yeah. And I don't know if you, uh, there was a, there was an RA article, right? I've, I've moaned about this on the show before, but I'm going to take the opportunity to moan about it yeah. again. There was an RA article about the early jungle scene and the guy talked about getting mugged outside and there was a massive Twitter pile on saying that he was being racist. Like, it's just like, oh. what the fuck are you talking about? First, <laughs> first of all, most of the people I got mugged by were white anyway. <laughs> anyway but yeah, also, yeah, it was yeah. just what happened. Like, it's just the reality of those, those events, man. They were rough places to be. That's 100%. what I was going to say. The, the craziest part is that, like, I, would, I would say this here, like, um, all the raves, all the big, all the big raves, right? All the big kind of club, club base, whatever, parties, whatever. You knew what time it was. You knew there was some wrongins there. You knew that for a fact. Like it was, it wasn't like, do you get what I'm saying? It wasn't like, oh, this is, this is us going. And, and because again, because I'm, I'm not from any of these areas where these raves per se would, would happen. So being from West London, you know, us going into South, us going into East, us going to North to go to these places and do these things. Like we, we knew what time it was. Like it wasn't like, it was just, yeah. you know, um, legendary, like again, even like Ministry of Sound, take that for instance, legendary for your car getting broken into, standard. Don't, you just standard, come back. I, I had it happen to me. Right. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you, um, yeah, I, I guess maybe people's got amnesia or something because uh, like, or maybe those people weren't even at the rave. Yeah, I think I think they weren't. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's what probably like probably comes to mind of it. Like, they probably weren't even there. Like so, um, yeah, because those places were and the same. I, I mean, I talk about this all the time with um, people who aren't from the UK in particular, and I talk about your love for music and running the gauntlet of going to parties, illegal parties, or raves, warehouse raves, or. Um, actual club raves or whatever and you know just people things the things that were going on in London at the time per se which was like you know still to this day still how it is today like knife crime back then there was a weird thing that people used to do was which was gassing 
they used to gas the party or gas the place or whatever. It was good CSE gas. It was like weird, like, you know, people do, did that, you know. Um, and then, you know, the bigger one of the of the lot, which happened again throughout Garage, you know, as well, which was shootings. Like it used to happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And mind you, like I will never, ever say like literally across the board, I'll always say majority of people were there just for one thing, which was Raven. For sure. For sure. I mean, it only takes a few idiots to ruin it for everyone, right? So. Exactly, and that used to happen. That, that was that, that was that was literally, um, yeah. Like it, again, anyone from that era knows that was just the part. That was part and parcel of it. And to to a degree, you, again, when I'm having conversations with people that like necessarily aren't from London or didn't grow up experiencing that, it's more that I realise that us lot, like our generation, is kind of desensitised to that as well. At the same time, absolutely, man. And to be honest, as kids, as I said, as Charlie and I said yeah, last week, it was as a kid, it was almost part of the appeal. It, yeah, it, it made it, was, it, it exciting. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It was yeah. like a bit of danger, like real palpable danger. Mm-hmm. And that was really, it, you know, <laughs> it's easy to be living about it, but I think it, it genuinely was like it was like fuck. This is a real kind of like you know this this stuff is a bit dangerous, mm. but it's going to be fucking great. Once we're in there, you know, it's and like, it was, yeah, and it absolutely, absolutely was. It was, it was awesome. And that's the, that, I guess that's why you, you knew straight away. That I was like, run the gauntlet, like don't get robbed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 100%, just... man. Because once you're in, it's like, yeah, okay. Well, thank fuck for that. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm good. I'm golden. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny. Cause like, even again, I talk to people about this as well. Like the kind of like, getting home now you now everyone's got the pleasure of the 24 hour like night train or whatever blah 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 like we used to have to like camp outside the train station <laughs> until early until the train start until the train started running so the rave might finish at six and we have to wait till seven for the first train to go back on yeah, sunday in, service on sunday right? service yeah. yeah and it, it would just be like you don't know what's going to happen you don't know how this is going to pan out like, like tonight <laughs> but we're all here for it do you know what i mean we're all here for it and that, that goes the same for you know, meeting girls and um, even just meeting friends, ra- other raver friends, like, do you know what I mean? Just making friends and all that kind of stuff and meeting other people that are into the music and seeing them at the next rave and giving them a spud and saying, yo, like, safe, like, you know, it, it, all of this stuff was a part, was all a part of it. Um, the good and the bad, didn't it, right? You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, again, f- f- 14, I'm going into that, like, you know what I mean? At Stratford Rex and Stratford Rex was definitely, <laughs> that was definitely a gritty one. Yes. yes you know yeah yeah i don't you know it was a, it was it was but it was again like you said it was so exciting it was it, and the music oh my god like it's something again i try to explain i've got like younger brothers that dj and make music and i try to explain to them like certain songs and, and I'm, I'm i even bring it to kind of like nearer our time so hearing certain songs in the club for the first time where you hadn't heard anything like it prior and then just being absolutely blown away on the dance floor and then you never you never really hear that song again that's something i try to explain to him is that even when you hear it on record or you hear it on the radio or you hear it the next you never actually really hear it the way you heard it in the club for the very first time like that ever again and i always almost for me clubbing like or going to it's is like I'm always chasing the high. It's why it's why when I talk to people and I say to them, I'm kind of bored. I don't really get excited by going to any club spaces per se, because I know that I'm probably not going to be wowed per se by what I'm going to hear. I'm probably going to be like, we've got the reference for most things that we hear in this current time. 
Whereas there's a few, well, not a few, there's a lot, there was a lot of songs throughout, like, from my early raving years that you had no reference for how, for, for that song, what was put into it, how it, the source, you know what I mean? Like, um, one, one that I used for my, um, my nephew and my um, younger brothers who are all like, they're still in their twenties and teens, um, which they know is, um, Benga and Koki Night. Right. Now, although there was like loads of dubstep tunes and obviously now there's loads of dubstep tunes that like definitely had to skip like that and all the rest of it, blah, 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 blah. Like, at the time when I first heard that song, um, A, I wasn't in dubstep, by the way. I wasn't remotely a part of it. A part of it. And B, it, it was just like, this is something. And I didn't even hear it at a dubstep rave. That's the worst part. I heard Heartless Crew playing it. That's the, that's the wildest part. It was Heartless Crew playing it. And um, again, another thing I remember um, going to the record store, this was like, well, probably the last time I ever did this, was going to the record store and being like, I heard a tune and the Heartless Crew played it last night. These times now, obviously I'm kind of known because of the grime stuff. And I'm like, do you know what this is? Kind of thing. And it's goes, you know, as everyone, yeah. And then I was like, nah, like, is it this? And then plays the song, not the not the song, plays the song, not the song. And then Damien Dapper, like actually shouts out to Dapper from Uptown. He was like, literally, is it this? I've got it here on CD. Like that. And I was like, yes, that is it. That is the freaking one. Like, obviously this was cheeky that he did let me do this, but he let me cut it on dub play. Um, but again, it was only like, I could only cut it on dub play. I couldn't have, you know what I mean? I couldn't have yeah. kept the CD or anything like that. He was like, yeah, I'll go with you. We can cut it on dub play. So um, we went and I cut it. And I remember, um, obviously when I cut it and even when I heard it, it was like, yeah, it was still phenomenal and it was still amazing. But from that first time I heard it, I can't remember where we was. We was in, we was in Harlow in some kind of sports venue in Harlow. It was like a big thing. I can't remember, like a rugby club or something like that. Anyways, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it was Harlow Rugby Club. I think it was. Wow, that's a place to hear Koki Night for the first time, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, they put they reloaded it about six times. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. Um, yeah. I'm, and I'm trying to explain to my, um, to, the, to my nephew and my younger brothers that that experience in itself as a as a whole, again, obviously I can't explain it in words and probably anyone listening back to probably just think I'm, you know, old fuddy-duddy kind of guy, but like those experiences were exactly how it was pretty much every time you went to a rave way, way back in the day. Like it was like, there was always new dub plates and it was always like a dub plate that was getting rinsed by like yeah, multiple yeah, DJs. Yeah. There'd always be one, wouldn't there? Yeah. In a night. And you're like, remember that fucking tune? It's like, yeah, that was crazy. Like what? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, the, the one that's in my head now is, um, Oh god, I can't remember the name of the tune. The Ronnie size tune is it? Sure shot. Ah, uh, the one with the kind of organ thing that goes dun 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 dun. Oh, snapshot, snapshot, snapshot. That's it. I'm hearing snapshot for the first time on dub and just being like, "What the fuck?" And like, you know, pull up, pull up, pull up, like endless times, like fucking hell. Just like yeah, and those just getting goosebumps, like like telling that story. But it's like you're right. That hat that wasn't that was a regular occurrence. Regular, regular occurrence, week in, week out, and you're just like and like you said about the, the kind of um, the culture of the, maybe the production and everything, everyone was trying to be unique and one up each other on that uniqueness and push the the envelope. And I love that about that, 
that era in particular, like I really, I'm not saying anyone's not doing anything unique now, but like there's reference for most of the things where it's like you're trying to, and also maybe ravers appreciated things that that weren't familiar to them as well, maybe, but more so back then. That's Whereas that's why we've yeah. got this kind of culture of um, the edits, right? It's familiarity. That's why the edits do so well. People like the familiarity now. Whereas back then it was like, we don't want the familiarity. We want it to be like, what is this? What? Like, I have never heard anything like that. If I'm, if I'm really just going to go back to one story, another story yeah, is just um, Andy C playing, um, is it Body Rock? Is it Body Rock? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Body yeah. Rock. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That song, I heard it for the first time, um, my first time at Fabric, my, fir- my very, very first time at Fabric. I go to Fabric, obviously remember, again, which is another hype thing, remember being told there's speakers in the on the in the dance floor, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, at, at Fabric and the, it's going to bounce and this and that, and the other. oh my God, I'm going to go to Fabric, it's going to be amazing, rah, rah, rah. yeah, that club, again. And then Andy C plays Body Rock on my first time ever at Fabric. <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, again, reloaded about a billion times and I'm I'm standing on the dance floor just, like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. This is also why I wanted to talk about this because it's just like, some people f- might look at me now and maybe think I'm not a real raver. I didn't, I didn't rave, but I did. I was out my house all the time, like literally just hunting the music down. I was that kid, that guy. Like I was definitely never indoors. You'd never find me in a rave now, but... <laughs> 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 back then oh my but do you know what if I ever got that feeling I think I've had periods over over time I've had periods over the last like two decades I've had periods where it has come back to me like and it has it has been like that I think um, and then I'm out my house you know again when was the last time would you say that you uh, were in one of those periods oh yeah definitely 2010 definitely around 2010 that was the last time I was really 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 in that 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 bubble i know it's like 14 years ago but it's a long time ago now, I was gonna it's say, a long yeah. time ago yeah but i was gonna say to really say that i had oh i'm lying do you know what i'm lying to you like let me let me be honest about this let me actually be honest about this after pandemic and i'm a piano is like rise in the pandemic and you know on tiktok and on all of that kind of stuff i definitely done a lot more raving to i piano right like last year like i would say you know what yeah. i mean i really like did i really went out and kind of like listened you know um and that was probably so that was one time. Then in between that, there was a time for Guam, um, DJ Lag, um, and even like Scratcher doing some bits and bobs. So I, I wouldn't say I was out all the time because there wasn't loads of parties going on, but I, that, that was a specific sound that I was like, a specific, oh, this, I don't necessarily have all the references for this one. I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear that. And then I would say the one before that was that 2010 era where it was, that was a real big moment where it was post kind of like dubstep. It's the area that I came through in, right? And um, you know, Hessel Audio, Night Slugs, Joy Orbison, Julio Bashmore, um, that that era, you know, Breach, you name it. Yeah, that was yeah, the era yeah. that I was like, even though I was a part of it as a as a DJ, um, and this is something that I feel like everyone should be, anyways, is even though I was a part of it as a DJ and producer, I was still a big fan of all the people that were around us. Like, you know, what I mean, yourself included. Like, I still a fan of everyone's music. You know, what I mean, that's right. that yeah. that was doing that stuff. Like, and still treated it and got ex- as excited when someone sent me a piece and a new piece of music at that specific time you know that it was just it was just an exciting time where people were kind of like even someone like like Roska taking the kind of like UK funky and then kind of adding the kind of like half step 
into it and kind of having a dubstepy feel and um just all of that like that era was you know and then of course you have the the songs that went off like uh Hyph Mungo Joy Obson like I mean mm. that one really like was a was a real big kind of like again I said to him like you know it's a real big big shifter for me it was like probably one of the few times that in again the last decade and a half that I heard something that I was like oh damn like he really has melded like worlds all together but then I've never heard anything like this before this is yep. sick you know so yeah you mentioned you came from that era and actually had a I, I had a note down to ask you about going on tour with Disclosure Mm-hmm. So, did you do the big, their first big tour? Is that is, yeah? That, was it that was it? in the not, well, not their first big tour, but their first um, big tour in the states, right? In, in, yeah. Wow. So it was first, the first time they went out to the US. Um, no Sam Smith. <laughs> um, yeah. Sam Smith wasn't even Sam Smith. Wasn't even Sam Smith. Like back no, then. absolutely and, not. Well, certainly yeah. not the current iteration. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It was. Do you know what? That was an experience, like, and that was something that I didn't. I guess I didn't take because if you know how it goes when you're like in that kind of cycle where everything's kind of like hitting like everything's right everything's going right boom 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 and um i was obviously signed to pmr which was the same label that disclosure was signed to and um i get to obviously i get the opportunity because i remixed uh latch to go on tour with them and obviously i'm cool with them i hadn't i think i met them once before that at a show like just to say yeah it was like Leeds I feel like something like that um and then yeah we both was playing on that show and again it was a brief encounter it was like you're safe and move and then yeah the next time I met them we was maybe I think it was like Portland and we was literally getting onto the I flew in and was getting on the tour bus <laughs> like wow, to go around the tour bus Jesus. it was on a tour bus around oh the states it was the best experience they're they're lovely guys um how many dates did you do roughly do you know what? I can't even remember, but we was there for like a month. So I was, yeah. Right, was so it's got to be 20 dates or something. Yeah, it was it was serious. We were, we, yeah, we did like the whole kind of like you. So we went from um, West Coast, like down, down LA, San Diego, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then we did the U across, we did Atlanta. And then we came back up like through like Washington, Miami and all that kind of stuff like that way. Um, then to New York. Where did we finish? I think we finished, I feel like we finished in D.C., like what kind of this. venues were they playing or were you guys playing um if any of you guys know like the house of blues in the in the states right like, yeah it's like a kind of chain it's like o2s right it's like the o2 academies like we have here so yeah they were just doing like literally all kind of like the house of blues and then every now and again we're doing That's like, like a, a theater size venue right Two, theater 3, size like, yeah i'd say so like, yeah. yeah yeah i'd say so yeah like there's um yeah most of the shows were about a thousand yeah i'll tell you that i'll yeah. say that yeah most of the shows like a thousand and it was like a kind of like, yeah, it was a proper show, like finished by like 11, you know, you're done kind of thing. It was, it was the coolest thing, the most nerve wracking thing I've probably ever done um, with regards to DJing. Cause I don't really care like about it. Like, like I'm not, I'm never really nervous DJing, but like going to warm up for a live act was completely different. Like <laughs> yeah. oh, opening, yeah. Opening for a live act was completely different, especially when the audience isn't, um, Again, there's the, the audience is under eighteen, right? There was loads of people in the in the place. It was like <clears throat> their time to kind of like see disclosure, like that like they wouldn't see them in a the club, right? Because they're not old enough. So I even to this day kind of have people come up to me and say to me, "Oh, like I saw you at such and such House of Blues or whatever or, or in this city at such and such place, um, opening up for disclosure, and you was like the first DJ that I ever saw, like you know, in life, you know, 
Like, yeah. And I was like, damn, like it's crazy. But that's what it was. It was like lots of people, lots of American kids, their first introduction to like electronic dance music. Like, um, and yeah, it, it was, yeah, it's just different when you're kind of like, again, culturally, there's a difference between us here and them there in the States is the way they are. Like, I think, yeah, you probably experienced this, right? For sure. We, the whole kind of like jump on a, jump on a table and get on the mic. It's not really us in it. Like, it's not really like UK. No, it's absolutely not. Yeah, man. Whenever I see a, the American DJ, I, I guess it's sort of a, a hip hop thing, right? So when you put it in yeah. that context, it kind of makes a bit more sense. But when you see a house DJ, you know, in, in a small club getting on the mic, you're just like, oh, okay, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stop yeah. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I kind of, I kind of had, they, they, those kind of, they had those kind of expectations I guess of me as well at the same time, which I'm not that either. Probably like that was probably the first time in my life that I ever got handed a mic. Oh, right, okay. While I was okay. DJing. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? As well. I'm like, there's usually a guy who does this for us. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, the same thing, kinda of like showering at showering at venues, which again, it's not glamorous right. either. It's not yeah. really that glamorous. That's proper touring. Yeah, I was touring and I had already come. So I did a tour before that with Mosca. Mm. So I did I did maybe three weeks with Mosca before that, uh, just DJ club tour, which was like literally, you're talking W hotels and all of that. We was doing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Standard. Same <laughs> yeah, as. DJ touring. DJ touring is doing it on easy. It really is. Like <laughs> It really is. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It really, really is. We've got it. Me and Mosca's got to done that. Living the, like, you know what I mean? Um, the, the, the nice life, staying at the White Hotel in New York and, um, all of that and then um, after that three weeks I've left that and gone to the tour bus to shower in and I'm and the craziest part is imagine that now we're playing thousand capacity venues playing big venues and everyone's coming out to see them you know um, I'm trying to think like you know like people like I think that's the same time they did the Mary J Blige fling thing as well um, or the connection was made. Alicia Keys wanted to link up with them and meet up with them when we was in New York. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like there was loads of like so much talk around them at the time. But yeah, we were showering like, like every other band, anyways, would do when they're going on tour for the first time. You know, you're showering in the back of the venue and getting it cracking. <laughs> and um, yeah, sleeping on the on the tour bus was was interesting. Have you ever done it? No, and to be honest, I have no interest in doing anything like that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah, it's that's definitely a young man's game, right there. It really is. It really is. I, I, I can. It was. It was a once in a lifetime. Yeah, sleeping on the tour bus the first night. I had to like they. Like, I got told I'd have this nightmare, but maybe maybe because I got told I was going to have this nightmare, I did have the nightmare. But the nightmare basically consists of like you feeling like you're buried alive. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice oh yeah you wake up oh my god it was yeah but uh, do you know what crazy enough to say this great experience um obviously not many djs get to experience like going on a tour bus and doing it like that you know not many of us in this game kind of like get to that 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 stage or whatever because that's not really what we went it for anyways like you know i mean to be honest with you in terms of that crossover situation yeah and um it was not it was it was nice of them to have me on on tour and then do you know what? again even the funny part is because they were quite young at the time as well like even yeah they were right yeah. one of them like howard like he couldn't even certain clubs he couldn't stay in the club um because oh, he was under 21 he's under 21 yeah so he's under 21 so he couldn't stay in wow 
which was kind of like, it was mad. It was just a mad, you know, that situation where we're like, okay, so we're going to do a, we're going to do the, the, the theater show or whatever. And then we're going to do an afters at the club, but Howard can only stay in the venue for the time that he's working. And then he has to get out of there quickly kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was again, interesting, right? Just to, just to see how that all works and, and clubs where, in the States where they would have, um, or say clubs, venues, where they would have half, half the, over, half side over 21s where the liquor's being sold and then separated down the middle and then the other half of the, the venue is the under 21s. Wow. Who can't buy alcohol yeah, just yeah. yet. So it, yeah, it was, it's, very, 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 you know, very interesting tour. It was another thing, actually, another thing that I got to do or see on that tour was just how they kind of like release the tour numbers as well, like what's sold and what's not. They don't. They have like a, a, a I guess, a magazine or a, I think it's like a magazine. I think it is, and it kind of like goes like a index to promoters and industry people, and it it tells you exactly what tickets and how much tickets are sold oh, like like brutal, how you do it? records yeah. yeah yeah and i was like oh my god like so there's no hiding <laughs> like, yeah right exactly it's literally front and center um, yeah they, i think yeah they, they publish the, the 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 money as well don't they yeah think, yeah yeah like, yeah how much yeah. your tour is gross that's like i definitely don't want anyone to know that <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's like we didn't make no money yeah. like literally no and I, that was that was a, that was literally a new um concept to me like and i was just like wow so what so we get off tour and everyone knows how well your tour went or not like yeah you know, like it's like whoa pressure like the way pressure. they do things over and over there is it's, it's a different mentality completely it really completely. is yeah yeah but it was good like i said that all of that stuff was just learning experiences and if i fast forward to the reason why i wanted to like even at the time my management i was always telling them Everything that I can do within this industry, if I can pivot and do it, I want to do it. I want to experience it. And the reason why I wanted to do it and wanted to experience it is because I wanted to do it and experience it um, so that when I'm at this stage in my career and if someone younger than me is getting into it, I've got an understanding of each aspect of how they can navigate and how they might pivot and move in the industry. And maybe even like, so for me, I feel like there was like a part of me that was like, I knew that, well, you we, you, you kind of know deep down, like, the kind of you're not going for pop star and that's not like that's never been the, that was never my dream it was never a dream of mine it's never a dream of mine to be famous never a dream of mine to be um a pop star or anything like that um and it wasn't even a dream of mine to leave in dj outside the m25 like if i'm on it if i'm honest with you like just the dj dj outside the m25 um outside of london was like i've made it that's it i'm done like i'm good <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm happy um so with that being said, obviously you can redefine your dreams and goals and all the rest of it as you grow and as you navigate the industry. But there was thinking about where you sit and where I'm comfortable. And if I, and I want to talk about that that disclosure tour, what that taught me, it taught me so much about what what I'm comfortable doing, who I'm comfortable being around, the types of people I'm comfortable being around, um, what you would, I guess... Where you stand in the industry, where you stand, um, <clears throat> even though you're alongside these people that are going on to be like, you know, the, the, the kind of crossover act in that respect. But just what I bring to the table and, and even why they uniquely enjoy what I do as well, that, which is which is 
a big thing as well in, in the same sense because loads of people ask me like, how did you get to do that <laughs> it's just like you know like these guys they're real guys as well they really they really know they really know and they really enjoy music so they really do want to connect with people that are creators that are creating from the grassroots situation as well um so there was all of that going on in that on, on that tour there was all of that kind of like understanding about myself and understanding about the industry going on and um yeah and something i do now is i i, I lecture at point blank as well you spoke about charlie fracture like as well he, he was there as well i actually started the same time as him <clears throat> but um yeah i lecture and this gives me kind of like that better standing for the insight and that's what that that really gave me is like a, a better standing for the insight into the industry firsthand you know how does a uh yeah sitting down with the tour manager um their tour manager and having a conversation with him about like how he goes about his his job you know which again is another thing that maybe you wouldn't know so much as a, if you do have a tour manager as a dj like it's yeah, it's not the same as like having a tour manager for a tour like that. No, like I said, it's like it's touring on easy because <laughs> yeah. the, the responsibilities for like a proper tour manager, that's a serious job right there. It really is. You're responsible for a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And seeing, even seeing Toby, their tour manager in action and how responsible he is and how um, organized. And um, again, he's he's looking after the budget. He's literally looking after the budget. He's literally the person who's looking at, and, and at certain times he's got the passports. Like, you know, it was, it was, it's like, so if, you know, those ones where like, we all talk about it as DJs, right? You know, how many DJs miss their flight? How many DJs lose their passport? Like, blah, 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 blah. All the, <laughs> nah. And also he keep people in check as well at the same time. Like there's none of that going on. You know what I mean? It's a different, it's a different side and probably closer to like, maybe like me experiencing something like what, like, the heroes the, the OG heroes you know your, your your bands Bob Marley's and the Whalers and people like that like my my, my parents would be listening to like Black Uhuru the, the you know Twinkle Brothers whatever it's just that kind of like real band touring that um, I wanted to experience you know and it was good yeah really good yeah okay so last thing I wanted to talk about was well you mentioned it earlier you mentioned AI earlier and that um, is a Topical conversation that we've uh, covered a fair bit on the show, and you said that the, I guess the conceptual ideas behind the album are informed by this, to an extent. Yes. <laughs> Go on then, tell me about that before I ask you something more specific. <laughs> so, um, so the, the 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 conceptual ideas like that we had like were just basically how do we how do we use um, AI in in a positive way so so ultimately we, we were having a conversation about this already like, and we we're basically having a conversation around um, splice and um understanding splice as like a tool that kind of has this level of like recommendation as well right because it's only going to be as good as what is input right so if you if you say you want to get a house music pack or whatever blah, 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 and then you can go through there and kind of like listen, listen to difference. But you and like sometimes when you go through there, it's not like always clean cut. If it says it's a house in there, it's going to be definitely a house in there. It might be from the R and B pack or whatever it is, blah blah blah. And um, I I was kind of like just alluding to the whole thing in terms of like the with the concept coming up. I was alluding to the whole thing of, of course, like a lot of the music that we we've got right now 
and the, probably the reason why it's so accessible to make music right now is because of these extra added like bonuses to um to the the, the tools that we have at our think at our fingertips um and i was again so i was kind of like coming back to tools um such as um obviously splice there's a oh man i can't even remember the name of it but there's one that everyone's using the 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 AI that uses it to kind of like separate vocals um, from the track and that kind of stuff as well. And um, and these kind of like things. So of course, with all of this stuff happening, we obviously had the rise, in, the rise of edits, right? We've had the rise of like loads of edits out there. And some of them I'm really into, like I'm not going to even hate on it. None, like, you know, there's good and bad in it, right? In all of this. So I kind of kind of was getting into that that idea of just understanding there was number one it was understanding that we've kind of already had these kind of uh bots kind of like suggesting stuff to us already to be honest with you we've had that for a little while and that it's only going to get more and more interesting how it's going to suggest stuff to you or make it for you per se I know there's um I know there's kind of like text to music um already as well like where you can just write what it needs to be and you can do that um and so i was kind of like getting down the line of i understand that me and you and probably all of our pals like how cool we we are um we might get to a point where where just even on a basic level for some of the some of the stuff that we do we might be kind of like redundant in that respect so i.e i.e for instance if you're making a straight up standard like four four house beat, there might be loops or there might be uh, AI that can just make it for you in like that. Do you know what I mean? And you won't have to think about that too tough, and it would just be an edit after after an edit after thought kind of thing. And uh, I, I was kind of like, there needs to be something to be said about warning people to just stay create. Understand that we can still be creative with this. We can still be creative um, in the way that we use um, any tool which comes to music, right? That that includes when we that, that includes, of course, the invention of like the door and the digitization and all the rest. Because mem- remember, like even even then, I can remember when we couldn't even put record audio into a computer, like and use it on like Cubase or any of these these um, these doors or whatever. So, just. I felt like there was, there was, I mean, I'm not shouting about it. I'm not exactly shouting about it. If you read between the lines and you read the comic, you'll, you'll kind of like get the concept and you'll get the idea behind it. And if you even, um, listen to some of the titles and so on and so forth, you'll get what I'm, what I'm saying. But the whole thing is, is reminding those that care to stay creative and stay, um, on the right side of kind of like creating no matter what the no matter what it is you know i mean that in, that in, even includes with social media and stuff like that and mm-hmm. you know whatever whatever we're doing just just keep the human element in there like and um that's that to me i find that i find that to be like the most important thing because again like i said there's there seems to be from from my perspective again this is where where i'm standing there seems to be an oversaturation right now and that oversaturation does seem to feel like it's based on um accessibility absolutely to everything that we've got and it's only going to again i said it's only going to get worse when someone doesn't really have to understand the basic concepts of um music production because there might be an ai that they can just tell to do something or someone doesn't have to understand the basic concepts of djing because there will be an ai that just does it for them you know and yeah 
I mean, we've got that. Both of those already, like, sorry, shall I say? Yeah, totally. I mean, I hear you there. I mean, it seems to me that, like, outside of music, or if you're talking about like, the influence of AI-generated things, whatever they are, mm-hmm. like, it, it strikes me that what will probably happen as a result of that is that things which are not, or things that can be proven to be done by an actual human are going to be more valuable. Like, that, that would seem to me a kind of, like, it's kind of obvious thing that would happen in the kind of you know just in terms of the way people put a price on things if it can't be done or if it's obviously it hasn't been done 100 by uh, by an algorithm then then that will be the more valuable thing but let me ask you the question that i've been asking a bunch of people how do you feel about your work being used to train algorithms like how do you feel about <clears throat> you know your my, yeah <clears throat> on your content for want of a better term see this is the thing being used to uh, build a trillion dollar business potentially <laughs> obviously yeah I, I i hate it i'm not gonna pretend that, like it's a good I, I just i just genuinely hate it on the on, in the sense that um almost the participation is given away for free right we like and and also the bigger part is that we um no matter what music and most of the content that we create is free right it's just well it's free yeah so um no i'm not i'm not really i don't like it well that's but, uh, let me let me just um uh comment on that it's yes it's free but it's supposed to be free for someone to kind of enjoy it for what it is right yes it's not supposed to be free for someone to use it to get rich <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know it's like yes exactly so that's that's the part but do you know what all right let me let me say this though this is the funny part like i think where we come from in selling records, that that era of selling records and selling something physical. Now, I I I always say this to people: like, how did I go from selling something to a distributor for three fifty to getting zero point zero 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 on a on a streaming platform? How did how did how did how does that like how does that even in twenty years? Right, I got I went from three fifty something that was worth three fifty three pound fifty right in a physical form to something that is worth pretty much pretty much nothing and then that platform's built or x platform's built off the back of that thing because if you remove all the content from those platforms then they have they don't have they're not even there's nothing to sell there's nothing they have nothing going on over there so so yeah you're absolutely right i don't i don't i don't think it's good but this is this is where the but comes in is that and i've always said this even when it comes to like music right and the problem is the unification like no one's gonna no one person's gonna or no bunch of people are gonna come together and they're definitely not the one percent at the top of the food chain aren't gonna come together and say like look music isn't free like it's just not free or you shouldn't be using music to build your platform in any way shape or form or your or anything or your business in any way shape or form and it would take the top one percent which is run by the majors right so it would take them to kind of like band together to really make a change so let me hang, hang on a sec uh, let me let me respond to that because what they would say and i'm not mm-hmm. saying i necessarily agree with this but they would definitely say well spotify is actually that spotify is is a was a response to the kind of piracy era where music really was free and what streaming platforms have done have been to actually generate a huge amount of revenue for the business as a whole that would be the response i guess right okay so that's that's saying that the industry that's basically saying the industry's been saved by streaming basically like which people is, do say that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we, 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 yeah people do say that and, like, and i would say 
that I would say that we can say that, all right, the reason why, and again, why I have a different perspective to that is because even in 2003 or even in 1999, like let's just say for instance, they weren't accounting for me and my production in the first place. Right, right. So in two, let's just say, if you take it back to 2003, they weren't accounting for the plays that were going on all, all the pirate radio stations across London. Of course, they weren't accounting for that. They weren't counting those as, as, a, um, as a play on airtime, obviously, because it was illegal, right? So that wasn't counted. Then they wasn't counting the, the sales that were going on in the stores because we weren't signed up to the to the system that would count. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they didn't even have the numbers for what was going on for the independent artists. They didn't even have those numbers because they had no. They would have no idea. They didn't. They didn't care about it. So it would be it would be, it would be funny or it would be actually interesting to see if independent artists have been saved by this kind of like current landscape and when i say independent artists not independent artists who sell really good merchandise not independent artists who sell really good um like loads of tickets at at shows i'm talking about independent artists that just service music and that's what they do and and that's how because as a teenager i didn't tour i didn't do a show i didn't make any merchandise but you're damn right out of eight thousand, i made money yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess what it, I guess what it is, right? It's it's scenes, underground scenes, to which loads and loads of people contribute. None of whom, in of themselves, generate much money. But actually, the cumulative value of it culturally is culturally. fucking enormous, right? And like just ginormous, like totally disproportionate to you know your average, you know, major label pop singer who probably makes a decent living but actually isn't really contributing much you know of, of real value yeah. you know yeah so basically what the stream model has done is yeah it's saved the major labels it's saved the kind of maybe say that the top five ten percent of the uh you know grossing people or whatever mm-hmm. but it's at the same time detonated so much which was extraordinarily valuable and actually so much which was uh, influential on the music which is made by the biggest stars now like those uh, scenes that we've been talking about definitely 100 just unbelievably influential on on producers and of commercially successful music so yeah i, I agree with you man I agree. <laughs> yeah that that's that's what it is to me so like i said it, it, it depends what side of the fence you're sitting on whether you care about saving which i don't i don't give a damn about the music business i don't even i'll be, I'll be honest with you i could care less if the industry if the industry disappeared tomorrow, like as in as it stands as it is, I would still make music, and I'd probably still try and find some kind of way to give people music and play music to people. That's just like even if it's me sitting outside on my bongo just banging the drum, like I'd probably still do it. Do you know what I mean? And that's just like the rawest like aspect of like how much I enjoy music and how much I enjoy sharing music um, in that in that respect. Um, I never really cared about the the commercialization of music or the monetization of my music. Of course, you get older, you got bills to pay, so and so forth, blah, 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 blah. You know, we all need to make, we all want to make a living and it's nice to make a living out of your art in itself. But that's the same reason why you don't see me dancing on TikTok because I don't, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? I'm not, like, I I feel like they, they think that, well, I feel like everyone thinks that there's something cool about kind of like or we don't you don't have to make music for money if that makes sense 
you don't like there is other ways to make money and that that's something I've kind of always had in my mind maybe because you know of education and going through that avenue and so on and so forth but I feel like you get to the truest form of your art when you aren't making it for money for gains so sure. um I will always kind of like stand for the side of the industry that is open to saying well who did we save who did this who who did this yeah. save like sure. you know who made the win out of this because if it isn't if it isn't the grassroots people who are independently thinking and free and trying to um create music that culturally shifts things and pushes things forward and that again can come from someone from um, a disadvantaged background and they can still make something good of it and something that shifts and changes their the trajectory of them and their family and their you know if it doesn't help those people if it doesn't really shift that then then really what what, what what did we what did how did we win here like what what was that what who won <laughs> like and who 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 was saved you know absolutely, um, absolutely yeah i just i just have that that real thing about it that it's like i want to i want to save those people those people like again the the music industry already won <laughs> like, yeah they always fucking win <laughs> they always win like, yeah. <laughs> anyway mate anyway mate this has been this has been great this has been really really awesome so um, last one more question yeah, go on. What's the best grime tune of all time? Johnny Cash War. I don't know. Yes. Johnny I, Cash War. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to go there. Johnny Cash War. Like, with, we're going with the homie. He changed, that track changed my life. It literally changed my life. Just straight up, like, changed my life, honestly. Like, yeah, great track. Um, yeah, Johnny Cash War. Yeah. Wicked, man. Well, yeah, like I said, thanks so much for your time. It's been great. No worries. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Yeah, that was T. Williams. What a fun and interesting conversation that was. I think that was a classic episode. I really, really enjoyed having the conversation and I think it was probably entertaining as well. That's kind of the key distinction. <laughs> Enjoyable conversation doesn't necessarily mean an entertaining one, but I think in this case, we hit both boxes. So yeah, as I mentioned at the top, if you want to get rid of the ads, patreon.com slash scuba official is the place to do it. You can also support the show with a one-off donation scubaofficial.io slash support but also just as importantly leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast it really helps grow the show so yeah thank you for your support thank you for listening this has been a long episode so well done for getting through to the end of it and um yeah one last thing join us in the discord hotflushrecordings.com slash discord we have a really nice bunch of people there a growing community so if you want to get involved after you've obviously left your gushing review then that's the place to do it right Okay, I will see you back here same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash 
Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.